0: Deuteronomy chapter 17 this morning, if you would turn there. Deuteronomy chapter 17. We'll begin at verse 18. Thanks to Hank yesterday for bringing the word to us at the same time yesterday. Uh, it was great, however, I feared as I was hearing him wrap up, uh oh, mine is not nearly that short. And so, I, uh, I told Hank that I don't have nearly the gift of brevity that he does, and I was telling that same story to Kathy's self, and she uh, told me that Hank didn't use all his time, so I get extra time today. <laughs> so, thank you, Kathy, for authorizing me to use extra time this morning. Deuteronomy 17, starting in verse 18. And when he, the king, sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them That his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers and that he may not turn aside from the commandments either to the right hand or to the left so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. Back in the day, they used to have the practice in schools, from what I hear, That if you were disobedient or rebellious in school, you had to write on the chalkboard 100 times, I will not talk back to the teacher, or I will respect my classmates, or whatever the case may have been. 100 times is a long time to stand there and write it out in detention, or whatever the case may have been. Why did the teacher have students do that, that were disregarding the rules? Was it because they were trying to torture the students? Well, maybe a little bit. But they were trying to get the message to resonate or perhaps reform the character of that particular student. In our passage this morning, kings were given instructions. And those instructions for the kings can be instructive for us pastors and missionaries and coordinators and other Christian leaders. Kings had similar temptations to us in that we let the word become optional, incidental, peripheral. But even for kings, even though their ministry was different than that of the priests, they still had the word as a central component to their ministry. We as pastors know it firsthand. The temptation to let the word become on the outside, the periphery of our hearts is a temptation. Even as we prepare to preach, we're more focused on the preparation to proclaim the word rather than let the word dwell within us richly. What do kings do all day? Back then, did they sit around waiting for women to come to him and say, which baby is whose? No, they were given instructions. They were to rule wisely according to God's law and not their own whims. But as you see in this passage, it anticipates a human king. And maybe the question arose in your mind, like it did in mine when I was preparing, What I thought Israel was supposed to have a theocracy and they're not supposed to have a human king. But no, it's the right kind of human king that Israel was supposed to have. God, through Moses, instructed that Israel was to have a human king. And even when you go back further into the Old Testament, for instance, Abraham and Sarah talked about a line of kings jacob prophesied about a messianic king from judah's line this was god's plan all along but the king was supposed to do certain things i don't think it's a stretch for us to say that if a king should lead his nation in a certain way this human king then we as human pastors and missionaries should lead our flocks in similar ways with the centrality of the word pastors to use New Testament language, should lead their flocks with the word. That's why Titus, Paul says to Titus, an overseer must be, and he lists out a whole bunch of different things, as God's steward, holding firmly to the faithful message as it has been taught. Or Paul, once again, to 2 Timothy 1. Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Brothers, pastors, we must lead with the Word, because it is God's Word that changes our lives and the lives of those who hear us. So from this passage, we're going to look at five characteristics which help us to make the Word essential. The Word must be these things to us in order to be essential. God's word has been given to us. We have to make it as essential as God planned for it to be. First of all, the word must be personal. We see this at the end of verse 18. Write for himself. This king should write for himself in his own hand, we assume, in a book, a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests. In that day and age, It was not common to have multiple copies of scriptures, as you can imagine. I'll air my dirty laundry here, and uh, this, this isn't really dirty laundry, but I have in my office, as I counted, 45 different hard copies of scripture. And I was like, wow, I am so blessed and yet probably also selfish because I don't need that many Bibles at the same time. And maybe you have similar in your possession as well he was to write for himself because they were not common and even though the priests had a copy it was to be approved by the Levitical priests meaning that they had the official copy he was to make his own copy of it some people today In our technological day and age, the only time they write things is when they sign their signature on the little tablet at a restaurant in order to say, this is what I paid for. Everything else is digital. Well, kings, they had the BC equivalent of what we have today. The priests could have done everything for them, all their helpers, all their servants. And yet, God instructed them to not let the priests or other servants do their work for them, but for they themselves to have their own copy now the priests were supposed to proctor it if we want to use that language a stamp of approval that this is the the an an accurate copy that was given the word was important in that day as seen in the book of second Kings when the priests found the lost scribe uh, scrolls and they said we found the word of God it's basically what they said In a similar way, we need to have our own personal copy of scriptures. When was the last time, pastors, you actually wrote out with your own hand your passage that you were preaching from, or even a passage that you were working on in your own personal time? We can do everything digital if we want to, but there's something worthwhile about writing it out by hand. I've... I did a little bit of research on what handwriting does for you and according to my searches, writing out things stimulates your brain, it helps your memory, it helps you focus, it uses different parts of the brain than if you just type things out. It slows you down and even has a therapeutic effect as well. We live in a day and age where we have more resources at our disposal than perhaps any other time period in history so far. We have scripture notebooks. We have journaling Bibles that have little lined edges in the margins, not to mention wide margin Bibles themselves. We have different copies of scripture that they call beautiful word where it has different artistic elements and it helps you to think carefully about the scripture as you add your own artwork beside it. But the point for the kings, was not just getting the word into them, but getting them into the word. And so pastors and brothers, and of course sisters as well, get the word into you, get you more importantly into the word. Second, the word was to be present with him, the king, and it shall be with him, verse 19, and he shall read in it all the days of his life. It was to be as constant of a companion as the cell phone that's in your pocket right now. It's always to be with him. And he shall read from it as if he were eating it, like in the book of Ezekiel. This was not to be occasional. This was to be the habit of his life. Or to use the children's song that some of you know. Read your Bible, pray every day. That's what he was to do. The providence God showed to Israel and the kings in the Exodus was not enough. They needed a written and authoritative word. This is more than just a formality for the kings. Make sure you do this as one of the many lists on your hundreds of things you have to do as a king. No, this was something that was to be done for their own soul's benefit. The word is formative for us, life giving. It should be a delight the light isn't always there sometimes duty has to come first but just like sometimes when you aren't feeling feeling like you want to eat a meal but you need to eat a meal in order to nourish yourself so we need to enjoy the word even if it sometimes means that we have to show discipline in reading it when we don't want to there's no other way around it we just have to read we can't download it from the matrix like we can do with kung fu or something like that we have to know the word ourselves you can't know what to do what it means or how to preach and teach it without knowing first what it actually says brothers do people get the impression from you Do you read more theology books than you read the book about the theos? Always be a learner of the scriptures. We must not be believers in the pulpit, but atheists in the closet. Thirdly, from the middle of verse 19, the word must be profitable. He shall have it with him, read it, so that he may learn To fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. Two goals there in that verse, that section. He may learn to fear, there's a transformative aspect of the word, and by keeping all the words of this law. It takes effort to read the word, as you well know, but in doing so, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, as Proverbs tells us. And fear of the Lord changes, and of course also reveals, our true heart. And then as a second step, we are to keep as showing further fruit of what God is doing through his word in us. Imagine a a man who is at his home one night and he hears a, a noise in the dark. And so he gets up, and he has the weapon beside his bed, some sort of knife or a gun or something like that, and he he knows that there's a danger out there, and in comes the intruder, but he just decides to say, hey, how's it going? Let me shake your hand. You would think, that's ridiculous. You would use the weapon against the intruder. And so to fear the Lord, our God, means that we must use the weapon that God has given us, renewing. Leads to doing, as we know from Romans 12, 1 and 2. I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice on account of God's mercy, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And then do it. Don't be conformed to this word, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. In order for us to obey in every area, we must renew our minds, first and foremost. So how does a pastor get to the point then, as I'm sure you yourself know, or you know someone who has done this, fail to fear and thus follow the Lord? How do they get to the point where their soul just shrivels up and dies? They leave the ministry. They apostatize. How does that happen? Well, it can happen by consuming other things and it shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life and sometimes other things sneak in by consuming sports news entertainment social media philosophy science all these things can lead us down a path of worldliness away from his word something or another will suck up your time and energy so the question is will it be the word that vacuum that God put in our hearts will be filled. Your soul will fear something, and if it's filled with other stuff, the fear and obedience that we should have will wane. The Word's personalness and presence must lead to it being profitable. Fourthly, the Word must be preventative. What would failure look like? We don't have to imagine it. Moses, through God, says here, if you don't fear the Lord and keep the statutes and the words of this law, his heart will be lifted up above his brothers and will turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left. To change the old saying, What Moses is saying here is that the word each day keeps the devil away. That his heart may not be lifted up with pride, but instead have humility. Not above his fellow countrymen, his brothers. They're his subjects, yes. They're under him in a certain sense. But they are his brothers. In fact, our Lord Jesus said it this way in the Gospel according to Mark. You know that those regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their superiors exercise authority over them. But it shall not be this way among you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And the king in that day was to be a servant. It's tempting for us as pastors who have, in most cases, been to seminary, some of you even have your doctorates, to click into this mode when somebody has a complaint against you about your theology about your preaching to go but you haven't been to seminary you haven't studied the word like i have you haven't sat there and poured yourself into the text well that's what the king was supposed to do but the danger is still present don't let your heart be lifted up above your brothers calvinists like us don't really have a good reputation When it comes to humility in our theology, do we? Even people who are not super familiar with Christianity know that certain segments of Christianity tend to wear it on their sleeve about how much they know. But what God was telling Moses and then to kings to do is to not exchange Egyptian tyranny for jewish tyranny that they would tyrannize their subjects but also even self tyranny that his heart may be lifted up in such an extent that he think looks downward upon other people when you don't have fear you have pride and when you have pride it leads to a fall in this case disobedient to turn aside from the law either to the right hand or to the left so what does the lord want from us he simply wants faithfulness and obedience all the areas right hand left hand we are to be faithful in our obedience i stole some of these examples from my friendships of some of you all failure when it comes to pastoral ministry is often seen in three different areas as one of you put it in the area of glory gals or gold Or to put it differently, also stolen from one of you, that pastors can fail in the areas of fame, finances, or females. These temptations are not beyond us, brothers. We need to root ourselves in the word. Knowing, reading, and prioritizing this word will protect us against such pride and disobedience and sin in these areas. Or as my grandma, great-grandma, used to tell me when I was a kid. This book will keep you from sin, and sin will keep you from this book. I think it's D.L. Moody or somebody who said that. And fifthly, the word must be preservative. End of verse 20. So that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children, in Israel. So here's the pattern. You write it. You read it, you have it with you, you learn from it, you fear God in it, you obey it, you live it, and you will succeed. It reminds you of Joshua 1.8, perhaps. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you'll make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. The results would not immediately be seen in the lives of the kings themselves, but the children and the descendants would see it. If we as pastors and Christian leaders fail to do this, what will happen? We don't have to use our imagination. We do fail. We have failed many fail in ministry many many churches collapse every year due to lack of holiness and lack of walking with god the name of christ comes under disrepute because of our failure to walk with god or think of the kings what happened if israel's kings failed well we don't have to imagine much there either we know the answer they they did fail in fact I couldn't find any record of any king actually doing what this passage says. There were a few good kings overall, but they fell short. The Davidic line eventually failed and ended. Personal and kingdom-wide disaster was seen. It left them, and thus us, yearning for a king who would do and completely do what this passage says. And Jesus, brothers, did do all of this because no other king, no other pastor can. To him, the word was personal. It was present. It was profitable. It was preventative, and it was preservative. Jesus read his Bible every day. We can be sure of it. Perhaps he wrote out the law and fulfillment of this passage. I can just imagine Mary being confused over in the corner and Jesus what are you do, what are you doing over there oh I'm writing out the word and she's like okay I guess that's fine he wrote out the word as the future king of Israel he spoke the very words of scripture even in the face of temptation he was and of course is the word incarnate he feared God like this passage says He did what all his kingly predecessors didn't. He kept the law, obeying it perfectly, fearing God fully and not proud over his brothers and sisters. He was Israel's and thus our perfect descendant king. His kingdom truly is forever. He's accomplished this through fulfilling the prophecy about himself, not just to be the king, but the suffering servant. The Messiah who died for our sins. He died, was buried, and raised for us who are word ignorers, word wimps, and even word disobeyers at times. It's not only that God's word has been given to us so that we may do what it says. But God's incarnate word has been given to us because he has done what the word says he is the word and that brothers and sisters gives us life in our own bible reading and in our preaching let's pray thank you father for your written and incarnate and crucified and risen and coming again word for us in his name amen